Blog Talk Radio. humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong Look at the 
it's a good original one. East of town, with the east of town, with the east of town. It's a good original one. How do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Cause we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. We welcome you to Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa. It's always an honor and a privilege to come to your homes. This evening, when we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful, it's the 18th day of September 2022. And our theme tonight is part two, looking at the past and present. That's why right, part two, looking at the past and the present. We welcome you by dialing in at 323 0841. We're going to be dealing with some issues that reflect the past as well as the present so that we can get a better understanding of how we can move in the future. So join us today on this on this discussion, like always, as your host, Brother Africa. Our panelists are going to stand in the seat. They're going to take the heat because as they define it, they're going to stand behind it, and we want you to do the same. So we welcome you to join us, and right now, like we always on this program, you know how we get down by in, by starting our party, by introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this particular time, we're going to bring in Brother Haki, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the Move. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name <coughs> my name is Haiki Kamafi Mishoki. Current on with African awareness and of course Brother Africa, you know <coughs> excuse me, my thing is all about it's all about institution building. But you know, one of the things, you know, when we when we talk about institution buildings, uh we certainly have to be aware of some of certain some of the philosophical um undercurrents that uh taking shape that take shape 
in a society. Oftentimes, philosophies that we embrace are not necessarily in the interest of humanity, but we embrace them simply because we've been conditioned to, to embrace them. Uh, one such concept is known as nihilism, and this notion that uh, life is meaningless certainly has its current certainly has its currency. Uh, you know, in the context of capitalist America, where you know nothing really matters outside the pursuit of a dollar bill. So clearly, this question of terminalism has very uh, perilous implications, you know, for the masses of people uh, and for for humanity generally. But anything, brother Africa, having said that, I want you to listen to this. <clears throat> Now, philosophy encapsulates how we see the world and our place in it. Ancient cultures like Kemet and the Nile River Valley cultures like Nubia Kush theorized about the unconscious called the Amenda, the Menta. The theory holds humans are as much guided by what is observed as by perception shaped by stimuli received by the central nervous system and the neuromelanin activity of the brain. This theory originally rejected by Rome was revived in Europe during the Age of Enlightenment between the 17th and 18th century when Western scholars discovered the multifaceted capabilities of the human brain. <coughs> For example, children who are born geniuses in various disciplines like math, music, etc. Now, when Western embrace of such a theory generally is still viewed as, excuse me, Western embrace of such a theory generally is still viewed as controversial. Godfrey Leibniz's essays on human understanding stated, quote, there are hundreds of indications leading us to conclude that at any moment there is in us an infinity of perceptions unaccompanied by awareness or reflection, end quote. <clears throat> For the most part, has been ignored by mainstream institutions, relegated only to college-level philosophy courses. Perhaps this resistance to facilitate this theory to mainstream inquiry exists because it would dispel the notion of biological distinctiveness or racial characteristics or, more generally, undermine capitalism's modus operandi that the system is in total control of the population's existence. Now, the downside of not embracing this theory, embra <coughs> this theory embraces the the downside of not embracing this theory, the downside of not embracing the theory <clears throat> that this theory embraces the commonality of all human beings is that it leads us to embrace ideas or philosophies at their core rooted in destruction and chaos. Rick Scott, a Republican of Florida, in addressing the Conservative Political Action Committee, re repeated on several occasions the Democratic and the woke left are evil. Railing against progressives, repudiation of right-wing policies that facilitate social ills and needless suffering, Scott insists patriotism, bonafide American history, traditional U.S. morality, capitalism and benefit to the wealthy, fiscal conservatism, slashing social services and social security, working individualism, the strong prey on the weak, religious liberties, Christianity influences equal to the state, and firearm ownership are policies that benefit America, and any opposition reflects an evil proclivity that must be eliminated. Scott's embrace of achieving of power at any cost blinds him to the inequities that the left opposes. Scott's ability to turn logic on his head is what distinguishes nihilism in the society. Now, in the case of the evolution of the West, the focus on the individual as the center of the universe and the overfixation on material acquisition provided necessary catalysts for the innovation of concepts that are problematic for humanity. The concept I'm referring to specifically is called nihilism. 
Nihilism is defined as the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief life is meaningless. While religion may be debated, the concept of morality is not shaped by policy or social convention, but is qualitatively verifiable by the end results. For example, the standard dichotomy of metric used to define morality is help versus hurt, comfort versus pain, or exploitation versus assistance. For most people, the moral or human practice is indisputable, but for others, the logic of human positive behavior does not resonate. Instead, what is generally viewed as inhumane is perceived as rational and just. In the case of Ayn Rand, objectivism, quote, ruthless pursuit of self-interest is the only morality and absolute revocation of human existence, end quote. Upon closer inspection of Ayn Rand's brand of morality, according to some philosophers, is a belief in nothing, <clears throat> lacking in loyalty except money <clears throat> with no purpose other than perhaps an impulse to destroy. In this context, Rand is a quintessential nihilist. However, to adequately understand the implicit danger of nihilism, we must appreciate its religious roots. The question of human existence has always fascinated human beings. For eons, the assumption has been humans are part of a greater consciousness that binds all living things. That all changed during the ascent of Rome, where religious clergy vied for power. Power could only be achieved by elevating clergy to the godlike status. This formula for securing and maintaining power eventually found its way into most of Europe. Picked up by philosophers like Kant, who reasoned, we create reality that we are seeing, was a theme embraced by Nitschke, or, or Nietzsche, uh, who observed highest value values themselves. That value all afforded leaders were only possible if subject to value their leadership. Given leaders often discounted the interests of the masses, the value afforded leaders by the masses was indeed confusing. First exploration in explaining the social phenomenon was not only confounding, but compared Nitschke to conclude the will for truth leaves us more confused. This sentiment was particularly present during the age of, re of reasoning through the 18th century with the growing belief culture was inexplicable. The only legitimate expression was what could be observed. Ironically, the lack of ability to quantify social phenomena dictated by the age of reason empowered leaders to assert more power since an intellectual foundation failed to evolve, discrediting the justification for greater control by leaders. Even though the poor rebelled against economic exploitation, church leaders, by virtue of popular narrative sustained by faulty reasoning, prevailed in carrying out its will. Nitschke, or Nietzsche, uh, had to conceive without an intellectual foundation, intellectual curiosity would not be sufficient to compare authorities to investigate social neurological functions in everyday life. Confronted with this paradox, Nitschke declared God is dead. Nitschke's declaration did not support this belief in deity, but on the contrary, recognized creation was all-inclusive. He recognized at the time the ability to shape narrative that embraced the relationship between brain function and human consciousness or the inextricables which accounted for an for irrational human existence in which wrong is right, injustice is justice, war is peace, complicated the use of rational facilities like human will and instinct, rendering God has no place. Let's get through his writings implies human will instinct is intrinsic in all human beings. If human will instincts are endemic to all human beings, from where do they derive? The implication is such traits are hardwired into our collective DNA. If such traits are hardwired from birth, it suggests an omnipresent intelligence as the catalyst. Whether one is atheist or agnostic, the psycho 
biological roots of humans that manifest themselves globally cannot be denied. Whether we're talking about prayers, rituals, dancing, infinity for drums, for communication or entertainment, or empathy for others, propensity of humans to engage in similar behaviors across cultural and linguistic barriers is fascinating to behold. The only question is, if we're all endowed with a human will and instinct, why do people behave in, in ways that's co contrary to human will and instinct by engaging in behaviors that are destructive to destructive and counterintuitive? Perhaps the biggest culprit is the power of systems designed by men to reinforce those values that appeal to destructiveness, destructive impulses, the true nature of nihilism. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, for Brother Haki, we're going to bring in Brother Anthony with the All African Peoples Revolution Party GC. We're going to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Going from Brother Anthony, we're going to bring you now to Brother Moses as well. We're going to welcome him to. Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. <clears throat> and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I called Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. I'm pro-ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, yes, ERA. And um, the struggle continues. The United Many to defeat the few, to recognize our common interests and our common oppression, our common enemy. Um, I adhere to Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, um, meaning that Marxism, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao Zedong were the, the cornerstones of my ideological outlook in the world today. And uh, as Mao said, let a hundred thews of thought contain that a thousand flowers bloom. And uh, the brother always says, if we define it, we stand behind it. So, you know, um, as Chairman Mao would say, long live the people's revolution, all power to the people. Thank you. All power to the people. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're going to bring in our beloved sister Eleanor, sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, Brother Africa. Good evening to our listening audience and fellow panelists. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and to our listening audience, this is Southern Africa on Africa on the Moon. It's the 18th day of September 2022. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to invite you to join our political panelists and analysts as they discuss what's going on in our world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. Join us. When I dropped the mic, it hit the floor like Thor. That's right. Can't pick it up no more. Only a try. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know what it was. Y'all know what it shall be. Get smart for the shit start. Boy, get dark. Boy, they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crib walk, crib walk. This is real talk. Smoke, push, ambush, then we peel off. Niggas still running with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning. Nigga, get lost. It's the warlord. Bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you? Leave that boy alone. Like home alone. Fuck a skull and bone. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours. Did you know the new white was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns. They trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bait sticks. Let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I took back my eyes and all black tonight. That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal. No, I'm a seminal. Yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical. This was Mexico. Now everywhere I go is owned by Texico. Fuck them. Fuck them and the rest of you. Yeah. I turn a room to a black hop I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really want to make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in. They don't care what's fully in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair. That's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected? It's so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. 
That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mosaddegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Just bombed an African country like... 
The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? What's going on in your world and the community? While well, we're waiting for you at this point in time, like always, we're going to bring in our political panelists and analysts for the day and see what's going on in our world and the community. Brother Haki, lead us all and talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Yeah, there was a very interesting uh, bit of uh, news in relationship to a nine-year-old uh, girl uh, who took on her teacher around the question in terms of, you know, indigenous people's history. And it's a very, very interesting piece. Uh, presumably this came out of Canada. Uh, one of the very strange things about this particular article, I researched it and researched it trying to find out the source of this, this article, but they're very, very vague in terms of this name of the school and the state in which this, uh, this, this, uh, this news came from. So it's very, very interesting in terms of this ability, this, this desire apparently you know, to really to, to sort of sort of obfuscate, you know, uh, the significance in terms of, you know, uh, what this what the bit of news represents. But in any event, this little nine-year-old girl, I mean, she's an indigenous, little indigenous girl. Uh, what's great about it is that, you know, she actually took a stand, and she she fundamentally understood, you know, that because, you know, uh, she lives in a Western state doesn't mean that somehow because, you know, the Western the Westerners write the history that the history is in fact true. And so at nine years of age, understanding concretely, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, the victor's uh, uh, victory doesn't ensure an honest accounting of history, I think for nine-year-olds, it's very, very impressive. In addition to, I think that, you know, the mere fact that, you know, she's nine, and you, I mean, when you talk about inquisitiveness among children, one of the things you want education to do is to get children to be inquisitive, to ask questions. Uh, you know, one of the things in terms of inquisitiveness in America is a lot of times the kids are just so zoned out you know, because of very sociological factors, that a lot of times you could say almost anything to the children and you don't evoke the response whatsoever. You could tell a lot of kids in America, uh, the sky is uh, uh, red, black, and green. And uh, the kids wouldn't say a word. They wouldn't dispute it at all because they're really not engaged in terms of educational process. But clearly here's a little girl who's very much engaged in terms of political process. And so clearly, you know, uh, you know, you got to take your hats off to her. And her mother in terms of her mother and her father, in terms of instilling certain information in her, I mean, it's priceless. Uh, you know, so I'm very happy to have read this. But finally, Brother Africa, also, I think that, you know, one of the things is that, you know, I'm somewhat um, dismayed in terms of the teacher's response. 
because one of the things is that when you when you when you think about the fact that here's an opportunity to a teaching moment, you have a young indigenous girl telling you that your view in terms of history is somewhat problematic, and she's telling you why, as opposed to incorporating what the little girl is saying in terms of her presentation. She in turn turns against the little girl, and then it, it winds up that the little girl has to go to a parent-teacher meeting to resolve this issue in terms of what they perceive as somehow the, ki- the kid being somehow uh, difficult. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, this, is, this, 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 this case is, is very, very problematic, but I'm very proud of, of the fact that her parents did a very good job in stealing her in terms of you know, you know, her, her history or her contribution to the nation, nation and so forth. Uh, I think that given this case, I'm, I certainly hope that uh, when, when they have this parent teaching conference, that the entire community will be behind, you know, this child uh, in terms of, you know, presenting their concerns to the, to the school. Because clearly one of the things is that, you know, if, if kids are not free to, to truly think, to freely analyze, or to, to, to freely deconstruct, then what is the role of education? Of course, we understand the context of America, increasingly education has been under attack by the right wing. In fact, we understand that since the 70s, of the right wing has been attacking education because their point is that one of, one of the ways in which they maintain control is to ensure that the population is not informed. And so they've been, you know, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, very uh, forcefully trying to deconstruct, you know, education. And so clearly, uh, you know, when this, this, when this young girl took a stand that she took, it sort of gave us faith in terms of the, the willingness out there for people to stand up and to fight for the right for education because education is so important in terms of being able to to not only critique but to bring into existence a better world. So I'll close with that, Brother Africa. That's a good lead our story to share, Brother Africa. Encouraging to know there are always hope when we talk about young people today. Now let's just move to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Um, a few things. Uh, let's see. There is a hurricane, uh, Hurricane Fiona, that uh, made landfall in Puerto Rico, and uh, not that all, all of the electrical power in Puerto Rico. There is, uh, according uh, to what I heard on uh, on the news, um. There is no electricity in in uh, in Puerto Rico as of this moment. So uh, you know, uh, you know. Uh, let's see. So uh, any of our listening audience that's in Puerto Rico or have relatives in Puerto Rico, uh, you know, my uh, my heart goes out to you. Uh, it's a very difficult time right now. Also, uh, Gustav Pedro, uh, president of Colombia, is visiting Queens, New York, this afternoon. And uh, let's see, I'm not sure of the purpose of his visit, but uh, anybody who uh, who's in uh, in the New York area that has a chance to uh, hear what he says, uh, you know, check him out if you have time. Also, uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, 
held a, uh, a webinar commemorating the work of Sashifo Kwame Nkrumah, whose birthday is this Wednesday, September 21st. And uh, in that, we uh, we, uh, uh, we we tri- we, we pay tribute to his works, his achievements, and also had a discussion on what is a true pan-Africanist. And uh, we had a nice turnout. And uh, let's see, uh, my fellow panelists, uh, Brother Robert, uh, checked out uh, some of the programs. So, uh, you know, that's pretty much it for what's going on in my world. Brother Anthony, also, I'd just like to say I have had the opportunity to engage in that particular program today, and um, it was definitely very educational and thoughtful and uh, one of the better way I put together a program that I have seen in terms of um, talking about Africa, trying to get a better understanding of the present issues, and this whole question of who was Kwame Nkrumah. So I must give my props to the APRPGC and say, job, we are done. Hopefully when it's ready, available to the public, y'all will have it on display on y'all web portal. But that was an excellent job, I must say myself. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses and bring him in, and we'd like to welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the Move. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? That's the question of the hour. Um, there's so much going on, and then there's nothing going on in, in terms of what is material and what is really making a, a, a fundamental primary contradiction that's going to make a critical difference in terms of the struggle. Uh, um, certainly, you know, I, I, I listen to some of... Um, Save America, something of the Donald Trump rally um, in um, in Youngstown, Ohio, I believe it was, uh, uh, and he was telling them about how, all the things that he had done, and and uh, and it was basically nationalism is this this thing. It's about all about um, doing for one's nation and. Uh, and looking out for one nation first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's about nationalism. And uh, this is this appeals to, um, I guess, the the white patriarchy, I guess. Uh, I don't know why it's so appealing, but, uh, but historically it has always been their uh, calling card. And and so the struggle against fascism continues on and on. On that front, uh, you have to know your enemy if you're going to deal with your enemy. Uh, and um, I think, uh, meanwhile, the the conference today, uh, uh, I wasn't able to to really participate as thoroughly as I, I would should have. Uh, uh, but what I did here, I, I enjoyed. Uh, um, I'm I'm still getting used to Nakuma's voice. Uh, um, and distinguishing his words, uh, uh, so I have to really pay attention when he's talking. Uh, meanwhile, uh, what else? Oh yeah, that storm out there in Puerto Rico. Certainly, our hearts go out to the Puerto Rican 
people. Uh, they, I was talking to my nephew, I guess it was, about them, and they, we, I was saying they should be an independent country. In 76, we celebrated a bicentennial without colonies, or was uh, our call in Philadelphia, and certainly Puerto Rico should be independent and and, and flourishing at this point in history. But uh, it's under the domination of the U.S. So um, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We now bring in Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Talk to us. What's going on in your world in the community? Sister Eleanor. Well, right now, um, to follow up on Brother Anthony and Brother Moses, my concern is for Puerto Rico, which has uh, is flooding and has no electricity tonight, and it makes me think back on uh, Donald Trump, and he set up the contractors that uh, were to restore electricity to Puerto Rico, and here they are over two years out from the last hurricane and have not had electricity fully restored to the island yet to be hit by another hurricane and the and the island is island is flooding once again, so we see the importance of uh public utilities um that the public should operate the utility companies uh, control the water and focus on clean uh energy. I saw this week that a guy named uh, Adandi, A-D-A-N-I, in India, a 60-year-old who's uh, into helping India expand into a multinational uh, nation, uh, is now the second wealthiest man on earth after uh, the Tesla guy, Musk. And uh, he's investing in green energy and cement because he plans on, and he says India will have the high rises and the clean energy of the future. Uh, So we see things like this while um, across the nation we see the new Republican Party um, as many as 19 of the Republican candidates running against other Republicans, including incumbents, um, saying that they will not accept the results of the race, of the voters in the primaries. So we see uh, Trumpism and authoritarianism continue, continuing to expand in the United States and globally. Um, There's also a tight election in uh, Nigeria. One of the candidates was born here, uh, but he's running for uh, president in Nigeria against Mohi. And um, so these are the things going on, and I continue to... um, urge uh, the release of the uh, Pfizer Moderna proprietary information so that the nations that wish to produce the vaccine for its 
citizens may do so. And uh, that's yet to be done. And um, we continue to see the hardship that the Cuban people and the rest of the world face as a result of the Cuban embargo and the U.S. holding the assets of the Afghani people, keeping them from food and heat as we listen to propaganda concerning Ukrainian wheat. Well, Russia, including uh, the Ukraine, which uh, I didn't know of it as a nation, I must be uh, ignorant of geography, in 1991, when the Soviet Union fell apart, I knew that Russia and the Ukraine produced a great, great deal of grain, so I foresee the price of grain going up globally um, as the U.S. continues to try to isolate Mother Russia from the Black Sea and from its uh, people that had voted in the Dunbar's regions and other regions to remain a part of Russia and not to be a part of a new, newly formed nation called the Ukraine. So we continue to see conflict around the world. And this week we also saw um, Prime Minister Xi, Xi and Pushkin have a meeting uh, in one of the former Soviet states I'm discussing the future of Russia and China as uh, partners and allies. So that's about it. Um, Global warming continues to have an impact, and we see the drought in the western United States across the Sahel in Africa, from the Horn of Africa all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, we see the suffering in Asia, and uh, this is an outrage, so we don't have time to wait. Um, The District of Columbia has passed a plastic initiative to make it a plastic-free city, and I think other municipalities should pick up uh, such uh, legislation as well as legislation to confirm that water remains a public utility. Thank you. That's it for my world today. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We will continue the discussion what's going on in your world and the community when we come back from our revolution and culture break. But when we come back, Brother Haki, start with you, then going to Anthony, and the rest of the panelists, we would like to have maybe a serious critique and uh, understanding of lessons we must learn and draw from uh, the narrative of how the media and the rest of the so-called world is treating the death of Queen Elizabeth II. I would like to have your perspective on if you write her narrative on what she meant to you in the world, what would you write? So we will have that discussion and more when we return from Africa on the moon. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it?
Uh, we ask our panelists and analysts to give us a narrative, a perspective of when they write uh, their history of the British Empire and the transition of Queen Elizabeth. What would it be? And we would like to have that discussion right now in terms of how the narrative that um, the established media is painting to the world, is painting and showing to the world, and what can we draw from that? Brother Hockey, before I um, get started, I would like to make a couple um, points of reference to this, and I would just like to hear your panelists and their thoughts on some of my references. One of the things I draw from this this process or this uh, narrative of how major media, particularly Western media, is uh, painting the transition of Queen Elizabeth II is that it's showing its true hands in terms of, number one, it makes no difference if you know the truth. Even if you know the truth, they're going to try to convince you that's not the truth and can tell you lies. Number two, it shows you that also they are in being complicit with all of these very institutions historically in the past as well as the present that has played a major role in the creation of enslavement, African people oppression, and people in general oppression against humanity. And number three, uh, for some reason or another, they want to erase your memory of what you know and what you understood during the time of being, uh, having been impacted by the British Commonwealth under the leadership of Queen Elizabeth II, that no matter how it affected you, she's supposed to be seen and viewed as a good person. And last and not least, it was recently reported that Many of the workers in England, i.e. government workers, and does this story sound familiar, many of the workers were forced to have to come out to the palace and pay their tribute to her to give the illusion that she really believed and respected in her own country. Have you heard and seen that story before, that propaganda? So I'll start right there for right now, Brother Haki. Um, your response to your narrative, what would you write about the essence of um, who was Queen Elizabeth II and how does she fit in your narrative of this question of history and her role being good, bad, or indifferent to humanity? Well, you know, Brother Africa, one of the things I have to say, you know, at the, at the start is that, you know, I, I find it particularly problematic, you know, in the 21st century, you know, that you that we continue to elevate uh, the status of institutions that are essentially uh, complicitous in terms of promoting imperialism around the world. And, of course, we understand the institution of the royal institution. Uh, you know, there in England, we understand, you know, its role in terms of, you know, facilitating and uh, certainly supporting, you know, imperialism, you know, throughout the world. And often you know, when you see examples of um, the, the former queen, you know, going to Africa shaking hands and smiling and pretending like she really gives a damn about the suffering of the people. I think for me, I, I find it very abhorrent, but nonetheless, it was nonetheless it's a function she had to carry out because she understands specifically her role was to, to, to the extent that it's possible to subjugate or certainly uh, create the conditions for subjugation for the masses of African people, you know, in the African continent and throughout the world. 
so clearly, so this institution as it stands in the 21st century, I don't understand why it still persists. And certainly to to provide uh, some type of a um, uh, 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 recognition for it, for me, is even is, is extremely problematic. Uh, you know, the thing is that, you know, in order for you to to prevail at this notion, and in fact, that somehow the queen represents some 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 you know tangible good for humanity, one would have to be seriously ignorant, or one has to seriously uh, embrace uh, the class aspect in terms of uh, you know British society. Because clearly, uh, the royal family uh, focus has nothing to do in terms of what is the best interest of the masses of folks. Their interest lies in terms of pop, uh, perpetuating and propping up a system, uh, which uh, historically, as well as now, has no relationship whatsoever in terms of trying to bring about that which is best for humanity. So for me, I find it all problematic. Now, the particular question that you pose in terms of the media role, in terms of you know uh, propping up this image, I mean, that's what they do. I mean, keep in mind that when we talk about the role of the media, the role of the media is is to to prop up the 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 role of those who are established, those who are powerful, uh, those who are wealthy, and 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 true to his creed, what it did is it promoted promoted the idea that somehow Queen Elizabeth Patterson was somehow a uh, a, a a giant um, a giant um, uh, uh, a hurt, you know, for the for for humanity. Of course, it doesn't deal with in terms of the the, the symbolic uh, nature of what she represented. It only dealt with the fact that uh, somehow there's somehow that her passing somehow is somehow a, a real uh, uh, disservice into humanity, simply because she quote unquote represents something that was good and wholesome. And of course, we understand that's not true. Also, in question in terms of slavery, brother Africa, you in, in imperialism. I mean, you know, I talked about that. So without you know re- repeating what I said. Uh, there's no question in terms of the role she played in terms of propping up imperialism. I mean, her visit to the continent, there's nothing in terms of addressing the historical wrongs, certainly the economic wrongs committed by the Great Britain against the people of Africa and throughout the, the, the diaspora. Uh, her role was to conceal that role and to make people think that, uh, you know, uh, that in fact that the British, that the British Empire was a, or the British country uh, was somehow concerned about the, the aspirations of African people. And, of course, we know that's not true. Now, uh, you know, so as far as being viewed as a good person, you know, one of the things personally, you know, I, I didn't know her personally. I only know the, the institution that she represents. In that context, because she represents an institution that's fundamentally flawed, that's fundamentally, you know, unjust, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to, I, I, I can in all honesty separate, you know, who she is as an individual from the institution that she, she, uh, that she, that she, that she props up. And in supporting that institution, she understood that certain mandates she had to carry out, that certain ideas she had to prop up, uh, the certain relationships she has to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to reinforce in terms of maintaining that, that lifestyle she, that she has, you know, in that, in that palace. Uh, so in that context, you know, clearly the, her, in terms of her complicity in term, or her duplicity in terms of the wrongs committed against African people around the world, you know, can't be whitewashed. So I think in that context, we talk about she's a good person. I can only say that based upon the institution that she represents, uh, hardly, she's hardly a good person. Uh, so clearly, a good season to me, if she's a good person, then what she should have done is commit class suicide and say, listen, uh, this institution is fundamentally flawed historically. You know, uh, it represents the oppression of people. It represents the, 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 the impoverishment of, of, a nation, of nations, and it's fundamentally wrong. And so therefore, I'm going to use this as a platform to speak out against that which is, that which is wrong. That never occurred uh, because she understood her interest was lies, 
you know, with the power structure. And she won't bow to betray that for the interests of humanity. So clearly, as far as being a good person, I think that's pretty much self-explanatory. Also, lastly, Brother Africa, I think in terms of, you know, forcing the workers to go to her, uh, you know, to her, to, you know, to her uh, recession, uh, I think to a large extent, I think it has to do with, do with the fact that they want to create this perception, in fact, that, you know, that her passing was just so traumatic for so many people, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, people just had to come out. So by forcing workers to go out there and participate in that, they really took these pictures which show these people in large lines waiting to view her casket. It gives a perception that she was well-loved, she was well-admired and well-respected. But that's precisely what the media, the idea the media want to project. That's precisely why. And so I'm sure a lot of those workers who were compelled to go there were, were pretty pretty angry. I mean, after all, you know, I mean, most of them understand, you know, that there's a real a real irony that when you talk about in terms of this woman who having access to lots and lots of money simply because of some historical accident by the nature of birth, that she has access to over $500 million where people are working, you know, just to make ends meet. Well, actually, they're working and can make ends meet. And so I know people in, in England or, or the U.K. are fundamentally aware, you know, in terms of this, 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 this disparity in terms of, you know, you know, what the queen brings in and what they bring in in terms of earnings. So clearly, I think for the overwhelming workers probably in the U.K., there's no real love loss in terms of her demise because I think for their perspective, the whole system in terms of uh, the British royalty needs to be eliminated. So I think that from from the system's perspective, you know, forced those workers to go out serve its purpose, and that was to make people think that uh, uh, that she she did a good thing while she was here on this, on this earth. So clearly, brother uh, brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, uh, I certainly hope of you know that this notion in terms of the continuation of the uh, of the of the of the British uh, of the British you know uh, <coughs> royal family. I would certainly hope it will come to an end. I certainly hope the people in the UK realize absurdity in terms of having, you know, uh, a king or queen, you know, here in the 21st century, and a real insult, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, um, what the what, what the royal what the royal family stands for, particularly in, ref, in reference to, you know, the, their their own lives. And I close with that. Thank you, brother and brother Haki, and we're going to brother Anthony, brother Anthony. Your response to my narrative and how would you write the history of the transition of the so-called Queen Elizabeth II? Uh, because of uh, symbolically, she represents the perpetuation of imperialism. Um, I uh, I can't say I mourn for her, in all honesty. Uh, 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 The royal family, uh, whether you're talking about kings or queens, are remnants of of the feudalistic past that most European countries underwent. And uh, there are only a handful of countries that maintain a monarchy, Britain being one of them, the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and uh, the Netherlands being the others that still maintain a monarchy. And uh, to a lesser extent, Monaco also. I forgot about that one. 
that's the principality to the south of France. Uh, but anyway, that's a holdover of feudalism. And uh, the reason why they able to maintain this expensive holdover, holdover from feudalism is because of uh, the exploitation the British Empire exerted throughout the world. There used to be a saying, the sun never set on the British Empire. And at its height, that was true. And, uh, and uh, you know, to this day, uh, Britain, uh, you know, uh, extracts an enormous amount of wealth from its former colonies. That's why those Africans in the Caribbean called for the abolition of the monarchy and reparations. But, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's see, um, as far as, uh, 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 you know, I'm concerned, the British royal family represents the forces of imperialism and that it should be done away with ultimately. But as long as Britain continues to be able to exploit Africa and African people uh, for its wealth, it will maintain that monarchy until the people get fed up uh, enough with it to overthrow it. And Brother Anthony, in terms of the role of the media, how insulting is it that they try to paint a narrative in which you know, the world knows better and knows differently. Um, what do we imply? What can we imply from that? Okay. That type of that, behavior uh, is outright well, disregarded. Uh, let's see. The U.S. media uh, serves the interests of the U.S. ruling class. And, of course, uh, you know, the uh, the ruling class in Brit- uh, of U.S. and Britain are very closely tied to each other. So it's understandable why uh they uh why why the uh the US media especially pays a close attention to the activities of the British uh monarchy. They always have. And they will continue to do so until there is a fundamental change in this country in terms of how it's governed and who and who rules it and whose interests it rules the country. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, talk to me. Who will be your narrative for the transition of Queen Elizabeth Sutter? Well, first of all, you have to understand that I'm, 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 uh, I have a principal stand. I'm a Marxist. And so, as a Marxist, I I, I recognize feudalism as a as a epic, a historical epic uh, in terms of political economy and stuff. And so, uh, just as capitalism is a is a historical epic, and uh, so you know, these institutions, uh, historical institutions that have been around for ages, uh, uh, that that have plundered and. Uh, and to amass their wealth and and 
off the backs of, of the people. Uh, uh, they don't they don't topple of their own accord. They have to be toppled, and uh, and uh, they don't fall by their own accord. And so, you know, I you know the institution of the the white power structure, more or less institution of of England, uh, uh, and I mean, I, I second only to the not maybe not second, but between them and the Pope, I don't know. I don't know uh, which one in terms of reactionary institutions. Uh, uh, I don't know where you would start, uh, but I, I, but like I said, I'm a Marxist, and so I have a class analysis. I, I identify with the working class, the interests of the working class, and 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 I'm looking for an egalitarian society and and uh, a, a try try society based on truth and justice. And uh, you know this the big lie, like um, Trump is telling that he won the election, not only won it, but he won it by a landslide. And and um, you know that's just typical of of, uh, of the way they present history. They they present history as you know the queen was doing this and the queen was doing that. And everybody was worshiping her and and uh, in love with her and and uh, you know that that's you know that's the way of the world. I mean, you you either stand for something or you fall for anything and. So you know, I have to take a principle stand and a class stand, and and I'm not for feudalism in any shape, form, or fashion. And so, uh, uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Maybe that's a, that's a, that's the problem, brother Moses. Fool goes out and no. You say if we don't stand for something, we fall for anything. That's like that's what they're giving us, anything. But thank you, brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. Tell us your narrative of how you would record the transition of Queen Elizabeth Sucker. Well, we see um, Barbados and other nations that want to be emancipated from the United Kingdom. And we see uh, the contradiction in Kenya because during her uh, initial uh, uh, transition to becoming queen in the 20th century was while the British occupation was uh, took a violent turn against uh, in Kenya at that time. So there are many contradictions. And again, uh, the royal family doesn't rule Great Britain, but uh, uh, there are many nations that continue to support these uh, feudalist families where blood, uh, your bloodline grants you some greater rights than other people and, and, and ignores in itself human rights. So we see the money and the pomps and circumstances of her transition I understand it's going to cost more than six million euros, uh, about eight more than eight million dollars just to uh, uh, bury her. 
Um, I don't have much to say. It is a feudalist, uh, old-time old feudalism. Um, it was taken out in 1917 with the formation of the of the uh, Soviet Union, and uh, um, we I continue to see in some African countries we still recognize kings and queens and in, in terms of tribalism, but definitely the United Kingdom was. Uh, uh, before transitioning to changing its name, and even since changing its name, uh, was definitely responsible for uh, global expansionism and imperialism. And uh, there's an issue of reparations and other things and compensating people and uh, emptying that Tate Museum of the treasures that were plundered from other nations uh, including our uh, Mother Africa as well as India and other nations. So uh, maybe this is an opportunity for Great Britain to look at that during her transition and return some of the treasures that is plundered from around the world and uh, make this a, a new day, a democracy where people are voted in and rather than uh, uh, being of royal blood. But I realize that the royal family hasn't ruled the country for for decades, but nonetheless, it has, uh, it, it, that monarchy plays a great role in, in, in England. And the working class seems to be... Uh, uh, really lining the streets to uh, pay tribute to Elizabeth II. But again, feudalism is feudalism. It's a part of the problem, not the solution. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now from Africa to Move. We're going to play a narrative that author represent how we view the legacy and the history of Queen Elizabeth II and the general history of the British Commonwealth. And we as African people saying, bring back our wealth, our stolen wealth. And we're going to play this particular narrative, and when we come back, we'd like to have our panel response before we go into our theme tonight, looking at the past and the present, part two. Let's listen. Have you heard of the Rosetta Stone? It's one of the most precious artifacts of all time, the first clue to understanding ancient Egyptian scripts. It led to the discovery of at least three writing systems. This stone is as old as modern civilization, the Rosetta Stone. Then we have the Elgin Marbles, a set of Greek sculptures from the 5th century. They were built to decorate Parthenon, the temple of Athena. They're exquisite just like the Benin bronzes. This is a collection of metal plaques. They once decorated the kingdom of Benin. The Benin bronzes are an African treasure. They show how skilled African artists were. Then comes the Tanjaur Shiva, another masterpiece. It's a bronze statue of Lord Shiva, the Hindu god, made almost a thousand years ago during the Chola dynasty. A testimony to the remarkable craftsmanship 
of the sculptors of ancient India. These are all stunning pieces of art. Do you know what's common between them? They're all present in the British Museum. Or should I say the British Warehouse of Loot. These artifacts were either stolen or won by force or acquired unfairly. Today they serve as a cruel reminder of colonial times. But the British Museum displays them with pride. It presents them as prized treasures, showing no sense of remorse for the past crimes or gratitude for the people from whom these were taken. And why just Britain? Museums across Europe are filled with such objects, with uncomfortable histories linked to colonialism. So here's a question. Do they have the right to keep displaying these objects? Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. They say in law, a thief is not allowed to keep ill-gotten gains. No matter how long ago they were taken, they must be returned. No matter how much that thief may have improved them, they must be returned. European nations wrongfully took cultural riches. They took them from countries that are now independent states. But most of them refused to even discuss returning them. They refused to make reparations for their historical wrongs. According to the Archaeological Institute of America, 85 to 90 percent of classical artifacts in museums do not have a documented provenance, meaning they don't have a record of ownership or a record of origin through which museums can justify their right to possess these objects. Most of these artifacts are from Africa and Asia. In 2018, the French government commissioned a report. Guess what they found? Nearly 90% of Africa's cultural heritage is held by museums and institutions outside of Africa. Nearly 90%. France alone has 90,000 such objects, stolen objects. A majority of them can be found at the Cave Ronley Museum. It's a state-of-the-art museum situated in Paris. It holds a vast collection of art. Indigenous art from the eight African colonies that France once ruled. Last month, French President Emmanuel Macron decided to make some amends. He made French museums bid adieu to a trove of treasures. At least 26 stolen artifacts taken from the Kingdom of Benin were sent back. The works included palatial doors and royal thrones. They were all returned as a gesture of humility. Today's gesture is the possibility for the youth of Benin, the youth of Africa, to retrieve the works of their history and heritage, to be able to admire them at home, and I hope that this movement will continue, and that the universal will be accessible in Cotonou as in Paris, and we will continue this work together. This move has had ramifications across Europe and the U.S. It has opened a debate on looted artifacts, a debate to send them back to their country of origin. A few museums have decided to do this. They've ceded ground. They've begun a process of restitution, but most of the mighty museums are playing ostrich. I'm talking about the big ones, like the British Museum in London, the Louvre in Paris, the Humboldt Forum in Berlin, the Getty Center in Los Angeles, the Metropolitan in New York. They're all playing dumb. These museums have locked up the precious legacy of a million people and they reject all demands to return any of it. They consider these artifacts as spoils of war, an argument that does not hold water, neither morally nor legally. International law does not allow it. You see, the concept of finders keepers does not apply anymore. There's a United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. It reaffirms the right of a country to reclaim its treasures. It obliges museums to return property that was taken without free, prior and fair consent.
In fact, this has been recognized by courts. In England, Ireland and the US, courts have ruled in favor of returning wrongfully acquired artifacts. They've said that other countries have sovereignty over items which they think constitute keys to their heritage. And it's not just courts who back this call. Human rights treaties also support what they call the right to culture. The right to reclaim what belongs to your culture. Take India, for instance. It was colonized for two centuries by the United Kingdom. And this was colonialism in its most predatory form. The British looted everyone and everything. In today's value, this loot would amount to a sum of $45 trillion. This is according to research by Columbia University Press. It says Britain drained a total of $45 trillion from India. Shouldn't the UK pay reparations for this? Forget reparations. The least it can do is return India's stolen artifacts, like the Kohinoor, one of the most precious diamonds in the world. This diamond was mined at the Kulur mine in India. It was unfairly ceded to Queen Victoria when Britain annexed Punjab in 1849. Today it adorns Queen Elizabeth's crown. Another priceless artifact is Maharaja Ranjit Singh's throne. It's covered with sheets of engraved gold. After the Anglo-Sikh war, it was moved to the Albert Museum. It's been in Britain ever since. Just like the sandstone idol of Lord Harihara from Madhya Pradesh. This 500 kg copper Buddha from Bihar. The sword of Tipu Sultan. They're all locked up at museums in Britain. What's the UK's excuse to keep them? Their argument is incredible. Most of the museums in Britain say their only aim is to make these objects available to all so that people from all over the world can come and see them, learn more about the roots and cultures they go from. They say they keep them for the rest of the world. Do you believe this? Do you buy this argument? It's like saying that some kid from Africa can always go to Britain to learn more about her culture. Why? Because Britain is the cultural capital of the world. Capital of colonial loot more like. As for the public service they claim to do, here's what. People from all over the world can see African art in Africa too and Indian art in India too. In fact, the whole concept of these museums is more like a colonialist fantasy of neatly cataloging the entire world in a single air-conditioned building so that Westerners do not have to cross continents to uncomfortable climates to see them. My point is quite simple. Artifacts belong to the countries of their origin, to places where they can best be appreciated, to people for whom they have the most meaning. So by holding on to them and displaying them for a fee, Western museums are still benefiting from their colonial legacy, still validating their historical wrongs and injustices. Their empires have crumbled, but their sense of entitlement has not. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. You're listening to a narrative titled Museum Must Return Stolen Artifacts. And you can check that particular document out if you go to YouTube. And um, it raises some funding issues as relates to Europe, it relates to their very institution and governments such as the European Union and England Commonwealth and the leadership of many of the so-called leaders. And the most recent one was Queen Elizabeth II in terms of her role of not only participating and maintaining stolen goods, but she would travel the world displacing the goods that were stolen and not to be viewed as a criminal. So, Brother 
Ikea, bring my panelists back in, Brother Anthony and Moses and Eleanor, listening to this particular piece, looking at the narrative and the history of uh, the Commonwealth and Elizabeth Sucker. Why is it that the international thieves and crooks are not in jail? Brother Hockey, your response to this piece and my question. <laughs> well, why, why, why are the international thieves not in jail? Well, according to what they did, well, according to what they did, was just and proper. There was no criminality whatsoever. They had a fundamental right in terms of taking that which belongs to them. In other words, their philosophy was that, you know, uh, we have the power to take what we want, and therefore we took what we wanted. So in that context, there was no crime committed. Uh, so it, 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 it sort of turns the logic upside down. But nonetheless, that is the imperialist logic in terms of justifying the exploitation and thievery. Uh, of these of these items. Well, let me just say this, brother. Africa, I think it's important people understand it. So, even though Britain had promised uh, to the Nigerian government to return so many Benin bronzes, uh, you know, to Nigeria, the bottom line is that when we talk about Benin bronzes, we're talking about thousands of sculptures and plaques uh, that need to be returned. The question is whether or not the UK is going to return all of those articles. My position is that. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to return all those articles. And why? Because it comes down to dollars and cents. You know, for the UK, for, the, for those UK authorities who are part of the part of the part of the the power structure there, uh, wealth is everything in the world to them. And so, what you're fundamentally asking them to do is to relinquish their wealth. And I don't think that's going to happen. They'll certainly send some of the back, some of the some of the bronze uh, Benin bronzes back to Nigeria. But no, by no such imagination, you know, the thousands of sculptures and plaques out of Benin uh, are not going to go back, you know, to Nigeria. So let's be very, very clear on that point. Unless, unless Nigeria literally threatens to go to war in terms of retrieving those artifacts, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, so, so it goes back to that question in terms of what constitutes thievery. So in our heart of hearts, this whole notion in terms of, of, of thievery uh, really has no relevance. Uh, in, in the context of, of UK imperialism, uh, you know, the strong take from the weak. So they don't have a fundamental problem in terms of that very concept. And that concept, you know, they might say, okay, we'll give you some of your uh, artifacts back, but to, 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 but to think for one second that we're going to give you all those artifacts back, you've got to be dreaming. So I, so I really realistically think that anything short of Nigeria saying, okay, we're going to go to war and on and retrieve those artifacts, I don't think all of those thousands of artifacts will be returned. Brother Anthony, talk to me. These criminal thieves, the why they're not in jail. And your response to what you just heard, uh, African artifacts, they have been taken, mostly by the West, and um, they can walk around um, and don't seem to have to worry about anything happening to them. Your response, Brother Anthony, why is it that these criminal thieves are not in jail. And uh, to put it simple, uh, concisely, because Africans are not organized. We are disorganized, and a disorganized people cannot feed, defeat a well-organized enemy, which the British are. Uh, and uh, let's see, and uh, similar to a point I made uh, when the sister brought up brought up the issue of reparations, you uh, history has shown 
you only you only get reparations from a defeated enemy. And uh, British imperialism has to be defeated, and don't uh, b- b- before they give up anything that they have stolen from Africa, including all the the artifacts. So if Africans, if we want anything back from imperialism, we have to defeat imperialism. If uh, if we want reparations from imperialism, and uh, and right now we are not organized enough to do that. And until we get organized, until we achieve pan-Africanism, until we achieve genuine political and economic independence, we're not going to get anything that was stolen by the European exploiters from Africa. Suzanne Noor, what kind of gang are they playing on us? They take air artifacts, they take us from us, put us in museums and make us come look at us to pay to see ourselves. Your response, mm-hmm. Suzanne Noor, why do you internet these are not incarcerated? Well, first of all, I'd like to correct uh, my last statement. I misspoke and spoke about the Tate Museum in London when I meant the British Museum. I don't know the correct name, but it, as I said, those uh, artifacts from around the world where the British Empire plundered. Uh, this includes what's now Nigeria uh, and the Benin Empire. The U.S. Smithsonian and the Amsterdam and the Netherlands wish to give those artifacts back. And the people of Nigeria have asked to be sent back until they are able to prepare to secure them and they not be sold by the neo-colonialists or mismanaged or, or put into private collections. Nonetheless, uh, um, uh, the uh, the royal empire, the British royal empire, plundered Asia, Africa, and uh, it, the the plundered goods are there. And the world is a different place now, and people are preparing uh, to take back their lost treasures. And that's that's just the way it is. It's uh, something that has been uh, that's needed to be done and is being done. Um, I would imagine they'll have a lot of empty buildings. Uh, they'll have a couple of huge museums empty, so they'll need to uh, change and become inventors and do different things other than exploit their brothers and sisters around the globe. Um, Let me stop you right there, Sister Eleanor. Can I stop you right there? You have more time to uh, speak on this issue, but we will continue it as we go into our um, theme tonight, part two, looking at the past and present. Uh, What I would like to do is quickly get Brother Moses' response to the issue, Brother Moses. When we look at the 
the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, and the British Empire, one of the things that's come to mind is the question Peter Tosh once raised. Everybody talking about crime, but tell me who are the criminals. Your response to the artifacts and this whole behavior of the British Empire, Brother Moses. Yeah, well, you know, it goes without saying. I mean, everybody's on point. Uh, um, they plundered the earth uh, um, like the devil running to and forth seeking who they may devour or something. Uh, um, but anyway, they they plundered the earth and uh, they've accumulated this these artifacts and uh, uh, treasures from people's countries uh, um, as Conquest as 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 tokens of their conquest, basically. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, to make it convenient for their citizens to come and act in this in a museum and see see what it took centuries to 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 um, build and and shape. Um, but you know everybody's on point. I don't think I can add anything different. Uh, thank you. We thank you, Brother Moses, and to our listeners. This is Africa on the Move. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We're going to take a quick moment of culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to part two, looking at the past and the present. Many times you realize when you look at the past, you look like you're looking right at the present. It's hard to distinguish the two. Because what took place then is still taking place today. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about this whole question of when we're talking about the West and how to continue still take loop. We're going to talk about lessons we can get from this article that was written on September the 7th, 2022, from the Black Agenda Report, titled Rwanda and Uganda. M23 militia, militia reappear to slaughter and plunder the DRC, U.S. backed Rwanda and Uganda. I wonder why. We'll talk about that with Brother Haki. We'll take the lead on this particular article. And we want you, if you get a chance, please check it out. Because it's something you must understand that many times our past definitely make up and influence our present. So we will have that discussion when we return. This is Africa on the Move with Brother Africa.
That's right. Don't be no Buffalo soldier. Welcome back. Ever since our arrival, we've been fighting for our survival. We will continue to trend today as we talk about part two, looking at the past and the present. And when we talk about the behavior of the West, we talk about the behavior of the um, British Commonwealth, you know, we can include our brother, our daughter, and our son. Take a look at the role of the behavior of the U.S. imperialism, U.S. imperialism. As we look at this particular article that was written on the subject of September 2022 from Black Agenda Report, you know, it's important to understand the past. Many times when you understand the past, you will put yourself in a better position of being able to understand the present, and uh, you will understand maybe how to make uh, the proper moves to be able to fight more effectively against your oppression. But the high key, when we look at this article, Rwanda and Uganda's M23 militia, we appeal to slaughter and plunder DRC, U.S. backed Rwanda and Uganda. It's consistent because they act just like their mother. Their mother taught them very well. This article, Brother Hackey, raises many issues. We want to look at what's going on in the Congo, how does this relate uh, to the question of the past and the present. So in terms of looking at this article, Brother Hackey, Give us some lessons, some concerns um, that we can take from this particular article. The mic is yours. Well, in a, in a nutshell, I, I think a lesson we can draw is that pluralism doesn't sleep. Uh, one of the things, you know, as much as we want to believe, you know, in fact, you know, that uh, there's a new day. Uh, the bottom line is that pluralism never sleeps. The strategies change, uh, but the basic, but the basic intent, you know, of that policy remains the same. That is the destabilization of the entire African continent. And so, when we talk about destabilization, I think it's important people understand in terms of the tremendous wealth that the the, the, the Congo represents. Uh, the Congo, on its own, is capable not only of feeding the world, but providing the kind of energy uh, uh, states throughout the world need in terms of for the technological development. So the Congo has tremendous amount of tremendous amount of uh, uh, resources and has a, has a process, in the process a tremendous amount of power, and that is what the the, the Western nations, fund, particularly the United States, fundamentally is very very afraid of and don't want to come to fruition. They want to make sure that the Congo remains destabilized, and certainly one of the uh, certainly a couple of people they have been using in terms of destabilizing the Congo have always been their two favorites, uh, uh, Kagame, Rwanda. And Museveni out of uh, out of Uganda. Uh, this is not the first time they, they they intervene in terms of the Congo in terms of stealing the Congo's resources. So this is an ongoing dilemma. But what is different is, is the strategy employed by the by the West in terms of make, creating the perception that in fact that military intervention, you know, recently uh, had everything in the world to do with fundamentally chasing off Ugandan and uh, and uh, Rwandan forces. You know, for the good of, of the Congo, that was just a ploy. That was just to get people distracted, world's attention away from what was really going on in terms of the Congo. And once the world stopped paying attention, guess what? Those same forces, Rwanda and Uganda, returned to Democratic Republic. I mean, returned to the Congo to 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 uh, to uh, rape and pillage. You know, the resources of the Congo. I think it's important we understand. Um, when I say that these are two of America's favorite people. Both of these individuals, uh, I, I, it's, it's a shame that they weren't born. It's, it's a shame that they weren't born European. 
because uh, the bottom line, you know, if they probably if they could change colors, I know they'd be on board in terms of changing colors because these are two self-hating Africans, uh, and you know, and, and, and as far as uh, Museveni is concerned, in terms of his his joy, in terms of you know the role he played in terms of undermining you know Gaddafi, subsequently getting Gaddafi killed. Uh, as far as Museveni was concerned, that Gaddafi was a direct threat to his power, and so therefore he wanted more so than the West to get rid of Gaddafi. He unilaterally worked with the West to make sure that Gaddafi was marginalized. Every though all the things he did for the for the people, you know, there in uh, Uganda, uh, Museveni undermined because he wasn't going to have uh, the the notoriety or the credibility, you know, of, of Gaddafi to spread throughout the country, because he understood that if Gaddafi's appeal spread, then inevitably people started asking him, "Why are you, as the president of Uganda, not doing more in terms of development of our nation?" So therefore, he saw Gaddafi as a fundamental threat, and he moved along with the United States in terms of ultimately not only overthrowing Gaddafi but subsequently killing him. Uh, so, and as far as the other guy, uh, Kagame, Paul Kagame, uh, see his position is that he's convinced that the the way forward for African economies is a is a is a is a is a, uh, is a, is a market is a market driven system is the way for for uh, Wanda uh, to gain prominence in the world. So his his mission is that he's convinced that if you play ball with the West, that they would see you know the benefits in terms of participating in terms of the economic development of Rwanda, and they would therefore come over with their checkbooks and say, okay, we're going to work with you, we're going to we're going to do what you fail in terms of resources, we're going to invest in Rwanda because we want to see Rwanda uh, 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 grow to be you know a success. Of course, that kind of thinking is somewhat is somewhat uh, illogical. I mean, certainly when you think in terms of the history, in terms of Western investments in Africa, and when you think in terms of desire in terms of the modernization of Africa, why would Kagame think that somehow the West are going to have a change of heart and start treating Rwanda fairly in terms of his investments, in terms of his investment policies toward toward Rwanda? Uh, he's, he's this guy's very very delusional. But just to show you how delusional he is, when the G20 held, held that meeting recently, about three or four years ago, the only African face that you saw among the G20 was Paul Kagame. He was invited unofficially by the United States to be part of that part of that, that, that program. You see, so the whole point was to establish this legitimacy among Western states, not so much for investments, but to understand that this guy is off limits. This is our guy. You do not do anything that's going to undermine. Paul Kagame's uh, policy. Whatever Paul Kagame does, you accept it. If he does something that undermines your particular economy, uh, let's say France, then you, you you swallow that, you swallow your pride, but you don't intervene in Rwanda because this is our guy. So they showcase uh, Paul Kagame in terms of, you know, being our guy in terms of G20, G20, G20 summit uh, for that sole purpose. So this guy actually drinking the Kool-Aid, so he actually believes you know, that somehow that the West gives a damn about Wanda. And so, therefore, he's, his position is that in terms of creating that market economy that he talked about, part of that process, he thinks that the, the, the stealing of Congo's resources is the way to achieve that end. But he, what he doesn't realize is in terms of doing that, precisely what the United States want him to do, which is to destabilize Africa, which is to destabilize the Congo, which, in effect, not only destabilize Congo, but destabilize that part of central region of Africa. Because he doesn't, he doesn't care about that. His focus, his fixation is on terms of you know uh, having a a a a, a, a state that's similar to say um, uh, Singapore, 
you know, where, uh, you know, where everybody is do live relatively well. Uh, people know people on the street, uh, you know, poverty, uh, people got employment, blah, all those kind of good things that people need. But those Singapore, but he has to stand that Singapore and Wanda are two different, two different locales, two different countries. Uh, the U.S. focus on U.S. ability in terms of undermining Singapore is very, very minimal, simply because Asian investments in Singapore. So therefore, Singapore is in a strategic position in terms of actually being able not only to control its economy, but designate where those expenditures go in terms of vitalizing the entire economy. Wanda doesn't have that choice. But this guy doesn't understand that because I think the self-hatred is just so deep among him for, for this guy. I think he could never fully understand, you know, Western uh, machinations and the kind of games they play in terms of undermining Rwanda and the African co- continent generally. So clearly, uh, uh, Brother, Af- Brother Africa, I certainly hope that the message that we learn is that we need to understand that imperialism doesn't sleep. You know, one of the things that, you know, Brother Anthony keep talking about in terms of importance, in terms of organization, that is so key. We have to have organization, and we have to have organization uh, throughout the world, but we definitely have to have organization on the continent of Africa. Without an organization on the continent of Africa, these kind of um, strategies, these kind of tactics that are employed by the West, particularly the United States, the undeveloped Africa will continue to succeed, so we have to have organization, and we need it in Africa you know, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a broad scale. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, one of the things um, one that we draw from this article, Rwanda, Uganda, M23 militia appeals to slaughter and plunder DRC, U.S.-backed Rwanda and Uganda. If you look at U.S. foreign policy, look at their policy, look at their behavior in this situation in Congo, they use all kind of tools to get what they want by any means necessary. In this case, they use the United Nations to to have a peace truce so that they could rearrange and put the advantage the advantage back in the hands of those who are um, um, ripping off the Congolese people. Uh, Rwanda, Uganda. Now, looking at the U.S. behavior in Africa, it's clearly don't give a damn about neither of those forces, the ones who still inform, nor the ones who have been stolen by. What do you say to Africans in this country who continue to go around to identify themselves as being an African? and our power to be part of this electoral system that is carrying out this plenary against Africa, African people in the Congo and throughout the world. Your response from this article, Brother Anthony. U.S. imperialism is taking advantage of the divisions among African people. And... uh, the problem in uh, in uh, DRC is one of the consequences of the fact that we don't see ourselves as one people. We are, we see ourselves as Rwandans, Ugandans, uh, Congolese, etc. But uh, let's see, we're exploited on a continental scale, and this is what Nkrumah repeatedly warned us about. And uh, 
and in a in a in a way, uh, br- Brother Maurice Parney is correct. Uh, this will go on in in the Congo until the Congolese get fed up to put an end to it. But they have to be organized. And uh, I can't stress that uh, that above uh, 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 that enough. Uh, What what uh, what is happening is that uh, the imperialists of the world are taking advantage of our lack, our disorganization, the fact that we're divided, that we're fighting along ethnic or these uh, or these. national lines that were laid out at the Berlin conference and uh and uh these uh, and as africa's personally made up these countries are not in a position to defend themselves against imperialism not one including libya uh for and uh and i i want to go back to libya because that's a case in point libya as well uh trained and advanced as his army was could not withstand the forces of imperialism and uh and uh that applies to the all the other uh state statuses in africa it is only when Africa unites politically, economically, and militarily will it be able to defend itself against the forces of imperialism. And uh, as far as the media coverage of this conflict is concerned, it's basically whatever the U.S. says, uh, the media goes along with it. And uh, again, that's a, a point that uh, Maurice Carney is correct on. But the thing about it, though, it only uh, but all of Africa must be organized. Not not only the Congolese, but all of Africa. And Pan Africanism is the solution to the problems in the Congo and the rest of Africa. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Illinois, we bring you in right now. And from this article, what do you take from it? What are your thoughts? Which article are we discussing? You are the Africa. The one on the and Yeah, well, as I said, there's a change in the world intellectually and politically and uh, these artifacts will be returned to their countries of origin and they they should be let me stop you for a second we're talking about the article on Rwanda and Uganda how the militia M23 militias reappear in the Congo with the backing of the UN US them to well, take the resources think, from the Congo. What you make from uh, U.S. foreign policy as relates to we talk about the question of theft and thievery, connecting the past to the present. What do you take from this particular article? Why it's important for us to understand what is really taking place on the ground in Africa and throughout the world. So well, what do you take from this I article? Think, yeah. 
I think the article said it best. The author said it best, and uh, he talked about the reality of why uh, Uganda and Rwanda have not been had to take responsibility, and the responsibility uh, with Uganda and seeing uh, the president of uh, Uganda sitting with the presidents of the United States. The article says it best that it's a matter of impunity, uh, injustice, and uh, basic imperialism. And what the United States wants, uh, it gets. And it's uh, the culprits from ever being brought to justice. Uh, that that is a fact. And uh, that they, uh, for... Uh, for who the emperor, uh, what the emperor wants, the emperor gets, and in this case is the United States, and that Uganda and Rwanda have been just completely in control and out of hand in in uh, uh, East Africa, and uh, the the plundering of the Congo is to support the interests of the West for uh, material resources. Uh, in particular, the United States. It, it mentioned the United States as being the person behind the scenes pulling the strings. And I, I concur with, with, the, with the article. Um, and... Uh, um, the reality of uh, the, un- the United Nations and other people having come up with uh, what, what the United Nations, uh, Susan Rice was blocked from um, what the findings made, and it's just a matter of uh, impunity, um, uh, injustice, and uh, the strength of the superpower and the neo-colonialist colonial um, nation uh, leaders being willing to capitulate for personal gain, and uh, this this is just the reality of the situation. And uh, that that is uh, about all all I can say on 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 this particular. Uh, Thank you, Sister Eleanor. That's no problem because right now we know we have Brother Moses. We can give him a chance to share his perspective as it relates to this whole idea. Injustice anywhere, the threat to justice everywhere. We can see the West going all over the world, particularly in Africa, uh, spreading injustice. When we talk about what's going on in the Congo and how the U.S. is the master planner behind all of this. Brother Moses, what you take from this article? Talk to me. You can bring in Brother Moses. The mic is yours. Yeah, well, it just documents how the U.S., as usual, gets in with some reactionary movement and uh, and then um, it morphed into another movement and morphed, and then it's pretty soon you're fighting the people you you were originally 
support it. And um, but anyway, um, the the Congo is is, is rich in resources, and uh, and so you know, obviously, the U.S. wants to get get as much out of it as it can, and uh, and divide and conquer has always been the task, and uh, to play up on these backward uh, sentiments, backward ideas uh, uh, that seem so real in, in people's mind. I guess these ethnic uh, divisions and uh, tribal divisions, etc. Uh, but um, you know, we have to we have to see our common interests. At some point, you know, as they say, stop, like the song says, stop this brother shooting brother over in our warland Africa. Uh, uh, we, we, we have got to come to unity, as, as Brother Anthony always says, organizations. Or, it is a question of organizations, a question of, of um, without information, you can't think. Without organization, you can't think clearly, as brothers always saying. And so... So, you know, we we've got to educate ourselves uh, in order to, because, like he said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, and we have, we have to be we have to be vigilant and uh, and uh, and support the revolutionary movements around the world. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's make our transition to the sucker article for the day, as well as from uh, Black Agenda Report, which was read on the 9th of September, 2022. The theme is liberalism. That's right, liberalism is counter-revolutionary. What is liberalism? When time we say to be liberal, it means to be good. Is that really true? We can ask Brother Anthony to lead us in discussion on this article. They talk to they talk to a community organizer, a political community organizer, around the subject area. It may raise real interesting um, contradictions. Let me repeat that contradictions. And brother Anthony, what were some of the contradictions around this question being uh, liberalism is being counter-revolutionary? How would you support that statement? Understanding what issues came from this particular article. Your perspective, Brother Anthony. Okay, uh, this uh, uh, this particular interview uh, deals with um, uh, when Kalanji, Brother Kalanji, makes the point that liberalism is counter-revolutionary. Uh, on, on a certain level, he's uh, he's correct in terms of the fact that liberalism is another form of uh of reformism that uh that perpetuates our exploitation but leaves the system that is exploiting us intact. So in that sense he, he is correct. Uh, one of the limitations I see with his organization, uh, the Seattle movement, movement, is they're seeking uh, they're seeking uh, you know uh, uh, you know land or real estate 
within the U.S., not realizing that this uh, land belongs to the indigenous people of this hemisphere and that our only just homeland is Africa. Uh, That's the biggest contradiction uh, I I, I see with with, with some of his ideas. But in terms of uh, the points he makes about how, uh, how some Africans do things for the sake of, of visibility, I think is correct. And that, uh, and that, you know, that the fact that, uh, that there's some, uh, that there's some activists, so-called celebrity activists that, that take advantage of our, of the suffering for our people to get personal awards, recognition, and what have you, that doesn't work on that interest. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and he's correct about that, that, uh, you know, uh, people that do things uh, to get, uh, uh, you know, deals, commercials, Grammy appearances, uh, et cetera, uh and not and I'm not in uh you know doing the work of building an organization that's going to alleviate the people's suffering you know what is a uh is a are glaring contradictions are you finished brother anthony yeah uh uh well uh, let's see and uh, I think uh, I'll make a make another point in terms of uh, you know the solution to the problem. I think a key thing is exposure. I think uh, you know uh, African journalists have a, 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 a you know an important role to play in terms of uh, pointing out these contradictions and also pointing up to a solution to our problem which is political, permanent political organization. Thank you, Brother Andrew. Brother Haki, when you look at this concept of liberalism as counter-revolutionary, um, what things you can identify from this article and what things you can identify from this article that we might need to be more cautious about. So give us your analysis, Brother Haki. Well, I, I think, you know, um, in the context of liberalism, I think another way to, to, to put it is simply the when we perceive the rights of individuals being paramount. We don't necessarily look at a group in terms of group empowerment. We're looking at the individual. Uh, also, I think one of, one of the real problems is that, you know, this, this is a focus. When we talk about liberalism, there tends to be a focus on equality without regard in terms of some type of um, um, analysis in terms of the structural limitations in terms of, you know, achieving equality. But I think the, 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 the article the brother raised was, was very, very interesting. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I personally, to, if I were to edit the article, uh, I would probably have a, a series of questions to ask him in terms of implementing a lot of the things that he talked about. Specifically, when he talked about the fact in terms of, you know, purchasing of land, it's, that, it's a noble idea on the surface, 
but the, the the problem is the problem is this. You know, when when you, in, in purchasing land, assuming that you can purchase the land, uh, one of the problems in terms of maintaining that land once you purchase it. One of the problems when you talk about imperialism, you talk about the decline of capitalism, you talk about African people being under, under assault. If we seriously think that somehow that imperialist force is going to allow us to be self-sufficient by controlling that land, then we need to think again. So I think to the extent that, uh, you know, that the, the, the article didn't focus much in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, operational preparedness. In other words, I think we have to create our people. Our people have to have a fundamental understanding of uh, uh, dealing, responding to any situation, uh, you know, uh, regardless of how how um, horrifying it may be. Uh, we have to develop. We have to inculcate that kind of mindset in our people. If we don't have a fundamental understanding in terms of you know um, uh, standing up for that which you believe in at all costs. Then we fail. Then, then we essentially fail, because uh, the bottom line is that if we think somehow that uh, the the path to a liberation society is going to be an easy one, then you know, then we got to re- we better rethink history, and also we definitely have to rethink economics in terms of how economics plays themselves out in the society. So I think in that, in that context, I think there has to be a much more economic analysis in terms of you know what we have to do and why we have to do it. Because as it stands right now, it's pretty it's pretty simplistic in terms of the analysis. Even though I respect the idea in terms of you know ideally, philosophically, I like the idea of having land to to you know to to grow things on to feed people. But the bottom line is how you maintain that land. What ends are you willing to go to to make sure you maintain control of that land? These are very very important questions. Unless our people are educated to those ends to understand the seriousness of the, the struggle then I think we do ourselves a disservice of thinking we simply purchase land and everything's going to be okay. So, you know, uh, you know. but as far as the, you know, when we talk about the uh, whole question around, you know, liberalism as exists among, you know, African leadership today, I mean, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, we have a tremendous amount of that, you know, particularly among a lot of young brothers and sisters who are, who are quote-unquote, out here struggling for the, who to say, out here struggling for the masses of people. This liberalism strain comes through loud and clear. When you look at terms of analysis in terms of moving forward, it's very, very clear. A lot of that is a lot, a lot of things. A lot of decisions they take is merely self-aggrandizement. A lot of it is all about you know, promoting me. It's all about the, the the limelight. It's not necessarily theoretical. I mean, you know, ideologically, it's not really about in terms of what we're going to do as a people in terms of moving forward. You know, it's a very hostile situation. Uh, so the question of liberalism is a very, very good point. I, I I think that that is a problem. You know, and I and I think back. To the situation in Atlanta, Georgia, where they had this this meeting among uh, some young rappers, and you have all these very, I mean, these very, uh, very radical, very revolutionary uh, brothers and sisters who have a long history of struggle. You know, uh, you know, brothers like Sunni Ali, uh, Bilal Sunni Ali, brothers like uh, the Ruba Ben Wahad. I mean, you got these brothers that have a long history of history, and you would think that these brothers would be invited to discuss these meetings. These brothers were totally isolated they wouldn't even ask to my knowledge to participate in those discussions so as far as susan is concerned those rappers weren't particularly they were, were, were concerned because i think that motivation is more no liberalism not so much you know uh the uh um deliberation of a people uh but also and finally let me just say this in terms of the the land question you know one of the things i think is important you know not to be antagonistic but i have to point this out 
uh, you're absolutely correct from a historical perspective. The question in terms of land, uh, there's no question this land belongs to indigenous people. Uh, in that context, certainly, if you're going to establish land in this territory called North America, then certainly you do it with the blessing and the support of the indigenous population. Otherwise, I don't think it would be I don't think it would be uh, a, a very strategically a very sound thing to do because there's no sense in terms of replicating the same imperialist past uh, that you fight against. And so, therefore, if you're going to stay here, it seems to me that you have to have some acknowledgement from the indigenous people. Listen, it's okay for us to establish you know land here, you know, and based upon this establishing land here, we're going to do A, B, C in terms of relationships with the indigenous community in terms of the you know, in terms of empowering both our communities. I think those kind of kind of discussion have to take place. Because I think the bottom line is this. I think that, you know, um, you know, one one of the things the bottom line is not all of us are going back to Africa. And let me say be very frank about this. I'm very, very candid. I, a lot of these a lot of Africans that are born in America and born in the West, I wouldn't want to go back to Africa. I don't want them to take all that corruption and all that dumb stuff back to Africa. I really don't. I'm being very, very honest about this. But you haven't said that a lot of Africans are not going to go back to Africa. And I understand that. And for whatever reason, they're going to choose to stay here. And the question in terms of the oppression of African people doesn't somehow liquidate itself simply because those Africans who stay here refuse to go back to, Af- go back to Africa. The question in terms of oppression of African people is just as relevant to those Africans who are in America as there are Africans going back to Africa. So I think the land question is a very pivotal question, but I think it's important that if we're going to go that route, that we seek the seek the 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 the, the, the then only acknowledge that this is the land of the indigenous population. But more importantly, if we're going to stay here and develop, then we make sure that we have that blessing and that they understand that is they, they they give us the okay in terms of doing such a thing. Anything short of that, I think, would be sort of counterproductive. I mean, that's my view. But I'll simply close with that, brother Africa. That's that's where I stand. Thank you, Brother Aki. Sister Eleanor, when you look at this particular article, was Brother Kalanji being too harsh on political leaders, on movie stars, on all these so-called fake actors who want to leave our people but not really committed to our people? Your take from this article, Sister Eleanor. Uh, no, I think absolutely not. As he as he said, they're they're like vultures. Uh, many of the so-called celebrity actors and activists and others mentioned are kind of strategically positioned, carefully inserted, you know, amongst the people, the liberation movement, and liberalism itself is counter-revolutionary and aids in undermining the movement. And combating liberalism is a part of the struggle uh, to eliminate and and remove uh, liberalism, as the article says, is to remove the tarnish and rust from the revolution. And he goes further to speak about uh, the Biden administration and how their black faces in high places now, how dangerous they are because people get caught up in the symbolism and the style over substance and that people become confused uh, and fa- uh, fall for 
perceived power over real power. And he he also talks about the uh, the reality of uh, the very people that the liberals and, and the issues that they intend to address, such as violence and 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 uh, against blacks and, and this sort of thing, um, uh, the families continue to suffer. They get, there is no relief. And they, at the same time, are uh, discussing, while discussing uh, police terrorism, are discussing their Grammy appearances and BTA, uh, BET awards, et cetera, or their latest Cadillac uh, commercial. Another thing, as Brother Hakeem mentioned it, Brother uh, Anthony, um, this guy is a descendant of the Seminole people. He's an African Seminole, and he talked about his great-great-grandfather standing up against the U.S. Marshals to prevent the kidnapping of of one of his great-great-uncles. So uh, this talks about the diversity of the diaspora of us as African people. But the, the most important thing I think one of the most important things that uh, we need to focus on is uh, 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 liberation experts have to be measured by intent and purpose along with theory and practice. And uh, certainly these celebrities, this, this is something that happened during the movement in the mid-20th century when the riots happened across the nation, uh, people went to ask James Brown, what what are black people doing? Well, that was the beginning of suddenly entertainers becoming the experts. And many people at this point in our society, uh, there is funding to support home, you know, to work with the homeless and to do these different things. And uh, if these grants and these resources weren't available, many of the non-celebrity liberals wouldn't even be engaged in these activities. This becomes a living and a way of making money. So I don't think they're necessarily working on eliminating the problem as much as they may be working to maintain the status quo. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And Brother Moses, you got to find a thought on this article. What do you take from it, Brother Moses? I've been kind of out of it. Uh, article dealing with liberalism is counter-revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. I, Mao said combat liberalism. Uh, liberalism, I think the father of liberalism is Thomas Jefferson uh, um, on the race question. Um uh, he had slaves, but he was for slavery, and he was and he was he had a lover and um, and kids and the whole nine yards. Uh, but yet he was uh, uh, a father of the institution um, uh, that he defended, and uh, so that's liberalism. You know, we need revolutionaries. We need radicals. We need people who, who see the the whole story uh 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 liberalism is is uh 
a half 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 hearted measure, uh, uh, a sentimental measure, uh, a measure that is, has not been thought through thoroughly. It's not scientific socialism, but it's some kind of utopianism. And, uh, anyway, uh, that's, it's in the struggle against liberalism that we become steel as Bolsheviks. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And our last article for today, before we make our final transitions and final thoughts, this is part two, looking at the past and present. As we stated earlier, many times understanding the present, you must go back to the past. And when you do that, sometimes you realize by understanding the past, you will be able to um, have a better understanding of the present and can anticipate who, what, when, where, and why things are the way they are. Now, my question from this particular article, which is titled, Wall Street was a slave market before it was a financial center. That's right. Did y'all know Wall Street was a slave market before it was a financial center? You know, Brother Michael once stated that history is best to award those who research. As we talk about participating within institutions and fight institutions, I think it would be wise for us to first understand the history of that institution and our relationship to that. So we start with you, Sister Eleanor. When you read this article, and we talk about the history of Wall Street and the history of the institution of slavery. Why is that an important point to understand the dichotomy between these two histories? What can we gain from that, Sister Eleanor? Well, well, one thing, it's interesting how Wall Street was a slave market, as was uh, the Smithsonian Mall, and I believe the site of the Treasury. Oh, is that the, the building to the west, uh, uh, very near the White House, was a, a slave market. What's interesting about this article is all about money. They talked about Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and the uh, how the uh, Wall Street now is not a people's government. It's uh, a corporate government and how uh, the different campaigns, both uh, Republican and Democrats, receive money from the PAC, uh, the Political Action Committee, uh, employees and owners of major Wall Street firms uh, give money. And, and as I said, they give it to both. Uh, over a uh, million dollars from the PAC individuals and groups associated with Golden Sachs and Morgan Chase and City City Group and others uh, are contributing and uh, Wachovia Bank and and they also mention how one of the owners of the bank uh, one of the banks uh, started out as a slave trader and uh, uh um and and uh is now his descendants are the owner of one of these big wall street banks so we see capitalism at work and social imperialism at work uh according to uh the article says that according to a nonpartisan uh 
uh, Americans for campaign reform that the PAC uh, is uh, is uh, basically uh, finance, insurance, and real estate uh, contributors, and they've contributed over two million to federal campaigns between 1990 and 2008. Mm. Uh, members of the U.S. House, Senate receive an average of 142,000 to mm. uh, over a million, respectively in Wall Street contributions in, in just 2008 alone. Mm. The total Wall Street contributions to people running for federal office in 2008 was over $300 million. Wall Street influences the battle between Main Street. The, really, the battle is between the people and Wall Street right now. That's where the uh, that Wall Street movement came from. Uh, but again, that was a liberal movement, and it didn't so much advance the people as it advanced a, a certain group of people. Um, they talked about the McCain campaign, with it, which did not fare well, as uh, it received over $300,000 from the uh, campaign, from the PAC. But the important thing to remember in this article is how, at one point in this country, slaves, the enslaved people were more valuable as as financial leverage than 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 land itself in this country because land could be had very cheaply because they were stealing it from the indigenous people, but slaves. Uh, fetched a high price, especially after 1808, when they denied the import, when um, the import of slaves were outlawed in the United States. So the slave market, uh, 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 where where African people were either for sale or rented out, literally, uh, is quite quite uh, a, a history, and yes, I was aware of the slave market being at that site. Um, what I wasn't aware of was that uh, one of the uh, major banks uh, got its, 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 its money through the trading of slaves, and uh, it exists today. Now that that's uh that's uh, uh, uh it was um uh Moses Taylor who died in 1882 he was one of the wealthiest men of that century with an estate reportedly worth 70 million dollars which would have uh, would have been about uh, according to the author 1.6 million dollars today and uh he he was making money off of uh uh he he's the predecessor uh, uh he was the predecessor of what is now Citibank which has offices at 111 Wall Street and uh the bank was actually founded by the banker and sugar trader deeply involved financially with the illegal slaves 
trade, bringing Africans into Cuba in the 19th century. And uh, this is a a wake-up call that everyone should pull their money out of the uh, uh, city bank and to really invest to investigate which financial institutions they're using. And uh, we don't see a plaque to even commemorate that trade market and the fact that Africans not only were being sold and rented at that site, but were the builders of the first city hall at that site that uh, and that all Negroes and Indian slaves that uh, are left out of the of hire within this were let out for hire within the city uh, do take up their standing in order to be hired on the market house of Wall Street until uh, such time that they were hired. That's just where they they were housed and where they stayed. And the fact that George Washington gave his first uh, inauguration speech at the site. I mean, this 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 is a, a history that should be commemorated with with signs and plaques to educate the people. Is that all, Sister Eleanor, just signs and plaques? Well, well they, no, uh, we not, play not again. all, brother. December 13th was the 300th anniversary of the law establishing the first slave market in, in, in New York. And uh, the reality is is that uh, the, the first Congress passed the Bill of Rights there and George Washington gave, as I said, his inaugural speech there, uh, and the slaves were consequently the builders uh, built the Wall Street. Uh, uh, um, um, what was it called, the State House or whatever? Uh, the reality is. Uh, one in five uh, persons in the in New York City at that time was uh, in fact an African, and the article mentions. Yet there are no permanent signs acknowledging the role slaves played in early New York. I think this article does speak to education and us learning our history and uh, everyone being aware of where they are and where they stand. And uh, they they mentioned the, the burial site that many of us are aware of that was discovered during a construction in the in the mid uh, late 20th century, the 6.6 acre burial grounds where Africans free and enslaved were buried. And keep in mind, the article also mentions that uh, Africans and, and indigenous people were the slaves. Now, um, I would ask my fellow panelists, how do we deal with this information? Um, um, I would start by urging everyone to find another bank other than Citibank. But it also talked about a role that labor played between 1890 and 1896 
when uh, there was a uh, a farmers alliance and a, a populist party, and there was a young woman uh, named Mary E. Lee. And she uh, spoke about organizing workers organized. Well, thank you. I I will conclude with that. Thank you, Sister Elder. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Hockey, one of the lessons one may take from this particular article is not only important for us to learn our history and know how we fit in the schemes of things, but definitely this question of reform versus change. Seems like there have been variations of reforms in terms of different techniques to use for currency. Starting out with being human beings, us. Your response to that, Brother Haki, in the article. Talk to us. Brother Africa. <clears throat> yeah, Brother Africa. I, I, I think the, cons- the currency has been consistent throughout history. I think, as you noted uh, previously, it was African people who were enslaved. Uh, but, it, it, but there was a nexus that took place a nexus point that took place. So the buying and selling wasn't just the African people. Later they learned they can buy and sell politicians as well. So the article does a very good job in terms of highlighting that nexus between, you know, selling of people, whether you're talking about selling of African human beings or, or selling and buying of politicians. So I thought that particular nexus was pretty interesting in terms of, you know, how he laid that out. And it's very, very true because if you stop and think about it in terms of, you know, when he, when he talks about the PACs, you know, political action committees, he talked about their contributions, you know, to politicians, I think is very, very staggering. Uh, in particular, when he talked about the financial insurance, real estate uh, interest in terms of buying off politicians, I think nobody can deny the influence and the power that they have in terms of being able to buy these politicians. In fact, uh, one statistic states that for every every dollar a pack uh, spends, they get a return of something like $360. So that's not a bad investment, you know, for these PACs in terms of investing in politicians. But more importantly, though, I think, Brother Africa, I, I think one of the things is that, you know, when we talk about this buying and selling of human beings, specifically when we talk about buying and selling of politicians, I think we, we can't dismiss the fact that, you know, this, this process is really being uh, 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 expanded. Uh, keep in mind, six years ago when they passed the Citizens United Bill, and the Citizens United Bill says that corporations are defined as people, uh, or in addition to, they're saying that campaign contributions are affiliated with free speech. So in other words, corporations become a kind of people to be bought and sold. So this constant theme in terms of buying and selling of things, including human beings, is a constant, is a constant tenet of capitalism. So nobody should be surprised that when you talk about maximizing your profits, it often entails the maximization in terms of uh, in, um, exportation of human beings. Uh, so clearly it's very, very consistent in that regard. Brother Haki, we make our transformation to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what you take from this article? Not only when we talk about Brother, Brother Haki talk about being a, looking at the very next lecture that has taken place on human being to um, to other forms of exchanges. We know they went from human beings to now concepts that you put on a piece of paper they call stocks and bonds. And but the trick is all uh, has they all play the same role. Just like in the book, Capitalism and Slavery, it really does an excellent job talking about the transformation of slavery where nothing really changed to transform from one state to another state. Instead of outright being slaves and being in factories, 
They create concepts what they call slave wage earners and, 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 and factories. Um, so, Brother Anthony, what do you take from this article that you'd like to share with our listening audience? Listen to this discussion tonight. Yes, um, I would. I would add into the to, to the points made earlier that this shows the this shows the the connection between chattel slavery and capitalism in a way that uh, that uh, you know I haven't uh, seen uh, uh, other articles do except the the book Capitalism and Slavery written by Eric Williams uh during the uh 20th century and uh but this uh shows a connection and I would add that a lot of the financial terminology that's used also comes from chattel slavery things like stocks bonds uh that's what collateral that mm-hmm. sort of thing and uh this shows connection clearly and in terms of uh uh because uh monopolies intensify as capitalism develop it would be difficult uh to single out a particular bank since uh since a lot of banks are connected now and there are fewer banks to choose from than there were uh, a century ago. So uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the features of capitalism is that uh, is that monopolization tends to increase. So because of that, I don't think uh, you know uh, you know necessarily. Uh, boycotting uh, a particular bank is gonna, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, be a, an effective solution to the problem, because a lot of people are dependent upon banks in order to uh, be able, you know, to conduct business transactions. I think only uh, only uh, the the only solution is smashing. Uh, capitalism in all of its forms in order to destroy the power of the banks. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a long-term solution. But, uh, but I think the education about this is key, and it's something that should be taught as widely as possible. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And to close us out tonight on part two, looking at the past and present, we're going to ask our Brother Moses to set in the seat and take some heat in terms of giving us your final thoughts on this article. We encourage our listening audience who haven't had a chance to read this article, please Google it and do so. It's titled Wall Street Was a Slave Market Before It Was a Financial Center. Know your place in this world. Brother Moses, Give us your final take on this article. This is dialect. This is dialectical and historical materialism applied to the to the slave trade, etc. Um, Marx brought in the concept of political economy, and so we know that uh, chattel slavery evolved into wage slavery, and um, and so you know the uh, 
the the process of development of, of political economy is such that um, the workers are not only demanding a higher wage for the wage slave, but they're asking for an end to the wage slave system itself. And that's what scientific socialism is all about, um, ending the wage slave system and producing an economy that is, that is egalitarian, that um, has full employment, um, um, education, free education, free health care, the things that are in the interest of the masses of the people. And so, you know, we, this, this, the, the Wall Street, you know, and uh, Occupy Wall Street, I remember um, um, there was a lot of consciousness raising during that period about what Wall Street was all about and, and um, how it came into being, et cetera. Uh, we have to recognize the past and, um, and the past can only serve the present and the future. And as Anthony was saying about about um, the banks, you know, if we look at we look, banks are like are like uh, uh, all the capitalist system. Um, uh, these institutions they grow up, and it's hard to hard to function in a society without using uh, um, the capitalism. But that's where scientific socialism and utopian socialism separate. Um, uh, you, you, once you recognize that it is is um, inevitable that there's going to be capitalism uh, until there's socialism, then you you accept the fact that um, that you cannot control every 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 cent every dollar you spend in terms of putting it into the some kind of healthy um, economy or something. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and so we have to organize and take control of the economy itself, the means of production. And that's the solution. Thank you. That's the solution. That's what Brother Moses just stated. That's the solution. Thank you, Brother Moses. What we're going to do right now, you listen to Africa on the New Moon. It's a weekly radio show under the direction of African Awareness Association. You can listen to us every Sunday evening, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. We're going to take a rough to your culture break and we'll come back. We're going to ask each of our panelists and analysts to give us their final thoughts on today's program, which is part two, looking at the past and present. This is Brother Africa. We'll return. We, too, are children of Africa. Thank 
Uh, our uh, annual Kwame and Kuma Day, uh, the theme was Pan-Africanism must be the primary objective of African revolutionaries worldwide. And uh, we uh, and we and our program was focused on that theme, and also uh, Kwame Nkrumah's uh, contributions to that struggle to achieve Pan-Africanism. And uh, we had a a, a a a good analysis and discussion, and that uh, and that. Uh, the the essence the message we want to get across is that in order to be a pan Africanist, you must be, be an advocate for scientific socialism and hold Africa as primary. And uh, you can find out more about the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC and Pan-Africanism by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And you can find out how to uh, support and join uh, our organization if you don't currently belong to a political organization and are looking for an alternative to what exists out here presently. And Brother Anthony, we'd like to thank you and the organization for an excellent job of presenting the concept of Pan-Africanism and Nkrumah Day. We'd like to thank the AAPRPGC. And we now will make our transition, Brother Haki from the African Wedding Association. Uh, the trip will take place January 23rd to the 30th. They can go to the website, www.a aa-cubatours.com to find out more about the trip and Brother Haki talk to the audience about the importance of going to Cuba. Yeah, well, the importance of going to Cuba, you know, well, actually, there's a myriad of reasons why it's important to go to Cuba. But I think chief among them is a whole question around terms of, you know, which way forward in society. Uh, as you heard tonight, there are many, many ideologies that exist in terms of movement forward. Uh, but certainly each individual has to make up his or her mind in terms of which is in their perception, which is the best way to move forward. But certainly in that context, when we talk about you know, the things that Cuba has established, certainly has some uh, has some meaning, meaningful implications uh, for people here in North America. Specifically, I'm, I'm referring to the community organizations that, in, that exist in Cuba that are responsible for not only in terms of, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, preparing the Future leadership, the, you know, potential leadership of the future, but also as a bill in terms of, to address those issues that are so vital you know, to the community and country. I'm talking specifically about the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution. And now, when we talk about the problems that we're that we're confronted with here in the society, one of the things is very, very obvious: uh, the kind of organization that we need on the community level simply doesn't exist. So that we need that. Uh, we have civil societies, but unfortunately, we don't have the kind of civil societies that uh, are prone to act. And the situation calls for it. I think, in the context of you know the Committee for the Defense of Revolution in Cuba, uh, is, is 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 geared toward you know immediately 
acting on those issues that are fundamentally a threat, you know, to the community and to the country at large. And so this is what we need in America. So actually going to Cuba and having the opportunity to sit down and talk to these, these brothers and sisters in terms of these kind of formations, you know, in terms of uh, why they're so vital, I think it gives a, a, firm, a better understanding in terms of how they could be utilized in America in terms of the benefits that could be accrued, you know, by using those, those kind of formations. Also important, I think it's important in terms of going to Cuba, just in terms of, you know, historically, when we talk about the the, the, the struggles in Africa, and we talk particularly the southern region of Africa, and we talk about Cuba's uh, investment in terms of, you know, facilitating those struggles. Uh, what more can you say in terms of, you know, these are people who not only understand their African roots, but who are vested in Africa. So in that context alone, uh, this, 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 this understanding in terms of, you know, uh, this human struggle, in terms of the free humanity, is part and parcel of the Cuban DNA. And so, therefore, that alone is sort of inspirational. So when we come back here, we understand that we're not alone in terms of this desire, in terms for a new paradigm, a new different way of human beings to live. Uh, we understand that there's a country in the world that exists that highlights the importance in terms of that, that new paradigm, in terms of the elevation of the, of the human spirit. So we encourage people to go to Cuba to see for, their hands, see for themselves firsthand why Cuba is such a beacon on the hill. I think once you get there and you walk around and you talk to people and you see what goes on, then you get a sense in terms of the possibilities here in, here in North America. So for that reason alone, we encourage people to go to Cuba, see for themselves firsthand, and I'm sure you know that you know you're going to enjoy the trip and you're going to learn immensely, you know, things that are taking place, you know, in Cuba that could benefit here us here in North America. Thank you, Brother Haki. And for our final thoughts tonight, we ask you panelists, all of our panelists and analysts, to be disciplined as possible in terms of getting us your final thoughts. We get each one y'all one minute, make a one minute statement. Brother Moses, you find a statement for tonight. Thank you. The materialist concessional history starts from the proposition that the production of the means to support human life and next to production, the exchange of things produced is the basis of all social structure. That in every society that has appeared in history, the manner in which wealth is distributed in society by the classes or orders is dependent upon what is produced, how it is produced, and how the products are exchanged. From this point of view, the final cause of all social changes and political revolutions are to be sought not in men's brains, not in man's better insight into eternal truth and justice, but in changes in the modes of production and exchange. They are to be sought not in philosophy, but in the economics of each particular effort. And I'll leave it with that. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, sign a statement. One minute, please. Yes, to pick up where Brother Moses left off. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Second of all, we got to struggle not to be scabs and, and as Ishmael Reed said, not to be full of mumbo-jumbo and focus more on people like Nicole Hannah Jones who did the 1619 Project. The important thing is to remember that chattel slavery uh, it will lay the foundation for what we now know to be the mortgage industry and so many other industries, and that we can make a difference. And certainly, 
When you stop banking at Citibank, you make a difference. When you know where you're banking, PVC, if it's a domestically owned bank or it's a multinational bank, consciousness is what it's all about. Education is liberation. So we need to keep that in mind and to free our minds. Enslaved people could were struggling and tortured, but now it's time to free our minds. And we do that with respect and love. And as we learn, we change what we do. We can't wait for the massive revolution, and we can't ignore all positive social change. And that doesn't mean supporting liberalism, but it doesn't, and it does not mean destroying the earth by throwing plastic bottles around, by by supporting the Bill Clinton enterprise zones throughout America with no comp and the UN's enterprise zones throughout the world. We have to educate ourselves and be conscious. We have to be economically and politically conscious. We learned one thing that Thomas Jefferson Thomas Jefferson didn't use land when he needed money to finance his operation. He used his enslaved workers. And 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 this is the 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 mortgage industry is based and, and so many other industries, whether it's based now on on lottery tickets or or whatever the case may be. The U.S. economy's slavery-founded beginnings uh, uh, must be acknowledged, and we must acknowledge our own behavior and know how to function in a capitalist system. We're not throwing away our bank accounts, but I'm not banking with the bank founded by a slave master. If you believe that you're a political politically conscious and doing that, something's wrong. You need to reexamine your behavior. And as Brother Anthony and Brother Haiki always say, untangle the metrics and organize. Thank you so much uh, for a fascinating show, and thank you, fellow panelists, and have a very good week and a good evening. And say to you, Sister Eleanor, and one thing we would say to you, because we love you so much, that this week, man, you're going to get together and we're going into a classroom and we're going to study the concept of time. What do you mean by having one minute? Because we love you so much. Thank you, my dear. You have a good day. Brother, how do you talk to us? Your final thoughts for tonight. We we love Sister Eleanor. Listen, uh, recently, you know, President Biden passed this uh, bill to reduce uh, the students' uh, 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 financial bill. Well, interestingly enough, uh, this, the powers that be wasted no time, you know, going after you know that uh, that amendment. Uh, for instance, the states have now decided that those a lot, particularly southern states, a lot of those benefits will be taxed. Uh, private insurers who provided student loans for those students. Uh, are exempt from that program. In addition to, um, there's, there's, a, there's a problem in terms of um, 
the the eligibility. A lot of people who thought they were previously eligible eligible for that ten or twenty thousand dollar deduction in terms of their student bill is now finding out that they're no they're not eligible based upon the rules. So clearly that goes to show you in terms of the 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 the, the focus or the dedication or the organization of those musicians of power. If we're going to be truly liberated, then we have to also develop the same kind of discipline. We have to have it. Uh, we can't compete. We can't compete being disorganized against a very organized force and think that we're going to win. And that's that's lesson for tonight. And in closing, as always, you know, Sister Eleanor, I would say, you know, to unravel the matrix, uh, you know, that is key. Uh, when we talk about the changes that are fundamentally taking place in society, we have to fundamentally understand that none of these changes bring bode well for the for the for the for the, uh, the essence of humanity. Because they don't bode well for a minute, they disproportionately impact African people, you know, in the context of North American society. And having said that, Brother Africa, I wish you a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. And we now will go with Brother Anthony. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. My final thought is that Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism is the solution to the problems that the masses of African people worldwide are facing. And we cannot realize this objective until we are organized as a people. So we must enjoin an organization that is working to achieve Pan-Africanism and the liberation of our people. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Brother Haki, Sister Eleanor, and Brother Moses for your contribution to today's program and to our listening audience supporters for allowing us to come to your homes tonight where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We'd like to marry our listening audience and the rest of the world. It's important for us to understand our past because by understanding your past, it will put you in a better position to deal with the present. Many times looking at your past, you'll find out that you're really dealing with your present. This has been part two segment, uh, looking at the past and the present. And if you ever had a chance to see these articles or view these articles, please do so. The title of these articles are Wall Street Was a Slave Market Before It Was a Financial Center. Liberalism is counter-revolutionary. And Rwanda and Uganda's M23 militia reappeal to slaughter and plunder in DCR. Rwanda and Uganda. Those were the articles for tonight as we dealt with our theme Part two, looking at the past and the present. We'd like to remind you that remember, without information, you cannot think, and without organization, you cannot think clearly. We encourage you and urge you to join an organization that is working for the liberation of your people and humanity. And if you don't join one, then you better create one, create one and do the same thing. So until next time, Please support Africa on the Move.
by supporting the African Wedding Association. If you'd like to send us some love, you can do that by cash apping us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small o, small o, and small b. Let me repeat that again. Cash app us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small o, small o, and small b. All gifts will be used as a means to help push our people forward. So until next week, same time, same station, we always subscribe to go forward, Apple, backwards, Neville, and we'll leave you with some music of sweet inspiration. This has been Brother Africa on Africa on the Move.
Coast Line. And if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African. So don't care where you come from. As long as you're a black man, you're an African. No mind your nationality. Perhaps that's the identity of an African. Bye. 
live in chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yes, last through my journey. Yes. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, for soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the change did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, 
did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.